We're continuing this morning in our series through the book of Acts called World Upside Down. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We've been uh, making this journey and taking a look at the very first church. What happened after Jesus died, after he was buried, he rose again three days later. And then all of his followers kind of said, now what are we supposed to do now? And I think there's a lot that we can learn from these first followers of Jesus, these people who made up the first church. And today we're going to be focusing on what it means to move from a place of fear to a place of being bold in terms of our faith journey and in terms of specifically sharing the message of Jesus to our friends and to the world. And so uh, a lot of times we have fear, let's face it, when we're talking to someone about our faith, it's not always easy. It's not always comfortable. It's something that uh, often uh, uh, requires great courage and great boldness from us. But I believe that sometimes we may have an irrational fear because we try to go through the gymnastics of what's going to happen next. What are they going to say next? What are they going to, how are they going to respond? What's going to happen if I do this? And so we go through these mental gymnastics and we create even more fear by doing that. And we're going to see today in chapter 4 how what happened last week, as we looked in chapter 3, kind of connects together and gives these new Christians or this new group of people called the church a great opportunity to share with great boldness the message of Jesus. I don't know about you, I've had things in my life that I've been fearful of. My greatest fear as a kid when I was growing up, grew up in Atlanta, Georgia, I was scared to death of the basement. I hated the basement. It was nasty. It smelled. It was musty. It was dark. All the time dark. Uh, I don't think the lights ever worked down there uh, exactly correctly. My, my parents built it, and they wanted to build it out, and it never happened. One of those things. You know, that's like every basement in the world, right? Isn't it? Yeah. So I had to move to a place where we can't build basements, so I wouldn't be afraid of, you know, the basements. I used to run up the stairs as fast as I could, and it was completely irrational. Nothing would ever have happened. Uh, It's said that uh, Benjamin Harrison, President Benjamin Harrison and Mrs. Harrison, as they lived in the White House during an age when electricity came onto the scene, they were terrified, the two of them, of electricity. And they literally wouldn't go and turn off and on the, the light switches throughout the White House. They would actually have servants come and turn the switches on and off because they were terrified of what might happen if they would turn them on and off. And if there wasn't a servant at night when they went to bed, they slept with the lights on. And they walked around in a dark white house on some days when there weren't servants around to turn the electricity on. They were making up in their mind what might happen, an irrational fear of what might happen. And so we're going to be talking today about turning the world upside down with great boldness. So let's turn and let's take a look at Acts chapter 2, or excuse me, Acts chapter 4 today as we talk about turning the world upside down with great boldness. I love this picture because these two chapters are are really linked together, chapter 3 and chapter 4. And we have in the first chapter and the second chapter of Acts the coming of the Holy Spirit, this great movement of God among the people who are followers of Jesus. And they come together and they create this organization, the church comes together. It's the first organized church there in Acts chapter 2, where they go and they meet in the temple, and then they meet in homes, and they eat, and they break bread together, and they share the message of Jesus together, and and they share the message of Jesus to the world. They study God's word together. They have fellowship together. and, and, And then all of a sudden, God begins to do a great thing by expanding the numbers. 
And today I want to take a look at three points and then a bottom line in today's message. And I'm going to go ahead and, and kind of get it out there first, and then we'll take a look at the passage and talk about it. In Acts chapter 2, or excuse me, in Acts chapter 3, we see Peter and John healing a man who was at the temple. And he was lame, and they, they did a service project, much like we did yesterday as a church uh, there at Antioch Educational Center. And they served a man by, by meeting a physical need, often like Jesus did. And they healed this man who was lame, and he jumps up, and he begins to walk. And all of the people who have seen him, he's been there for 40 years, he's never had this physical healing, everyone's in amazement. And Peter takes the opportunity, because everyone's watching, to shift the focus from Peter and John onto Jesus. And he preaches this message. And often pastors get two responses from messages they preach. One is, is, hey, I really like that message. Very inspirational. I'm with you. I'm excited about what God's doing. And the other one is, I'm really annoyed by what you said. And we get that often, all right? It's either one or the other. It's usually not somewhere in between. And we see in this case that Peter's preached this message and he's talked to these Jewish people there and kind of confronted them about where their focus is. And he kind of makes them angry. And I got to tell you, just right out of the gates, if we're going to turn the world upside down, if we're going to turn our own world upside down, if we're going to turn the world we live in upside down, boldness is going to be required when those who oppose the message of Jesus seek to silence us. And I want you to hear this today, church. It may not be happening much in the Western world, but it's happening around the world. And it very well may happen in the Western world in the coming days. That there are going to be people more and more and more in our world who seek to silence us. Check this out in Acts chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. As they, talking about Peter and John, were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. These were Jewish leaders uh, there who, who had uh, civil um, responsibilities in, in the area. Greatly annoyed, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and they put them into custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. Now, there's a couple interesting things that happen here. First and foremost, this is the first record of Christians being arrested for doing something for the message of Jesus. This is the first time that we have persecution from the outside world enter into the picture of what God is doing with the redemption of mankind. This is an important time in the history of the spread of the gospel message and in the history of the church. And I want to point out that these men were not arrested because they were preaching the message of Jesus. They were, but they weren't. They made up this claim that they had done something or that they had done something that was wrong. They were trying to help someone. And in helping someone, they had the opportunity to, to communicate the message of Jesus, and they did, and then they were arrested. And so for, for us, I think that there's going to be two different responses when we tell someone about what God has done in our life. When we tell someone about the great work that he's done for us, 
we are going to have people like the Sadducees and like these leaders who come and arrest, who are going to bring great opposition to us. By the way, Jesus often dealt with the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were Jewish leaders who represented hypocrisy. The Sadducees, as we see all through the book of Acts, this is where uh, the first church is confronted often, they represent unbelievers. And so in this instance, you have someone who's not just an unbeliever, but a vocal or a group of people who are vocally opposed to the message because it threatens their very existence. It threatens their very, their very existence. It threatens who they are. It threatens their role. It threatens their leadership, their influence. And so these men approach these men who have preached this message, and they're annoyed. But I want you to take a look at the second response, because we're going to link back to it next week. The second response is in verse 4. But many of those who heard the word believed... And the number of the men came to about 5,000. It's very interesting that in the process of these first Christians, this first church that's come together, they started out with about 120 at the end of Acts chapter 2. And at the end of Acts chapter 3, they've grown to about 3,000. And now it says 5,000. But what does it say in Acts chapter 4? It says the number of men came to about 5,000. So this is a church that's grown to probably about 10,000 people, more than likely. This is a very, very quickly expanding group of people who are believing in Jesus. And what that does is it creates an environment where there are pressures on the church that still exist today. There's a pressure from the outside, the opposition And then there's a pressure from the inside. We're going to talk about that a little bit next week. But we have this pressure from the outside of we don't like this message that you're teaching. We don't like this message of Jesus. In the case of the Sadducees, in the case of the Jewish leaders, in the case of the Roman leaders, um, it was they didn't like it because it essentially turned everything on its head. The previous message was live by all these rules and you'll have a right relationship with God. Jesus came and he preached a different message. These disciples are carrying on. These first Christians, this first church is carrying on. That Jesus came to bring the rules to completion and that now a relationship with God was all that was needed. It was a different message and it threatened their very existence. And so we see here that these men who are preaching this message, are being confronted with an opposition that comes from the outside. Now let's go take a look at verses 1 and 2 again. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. These men wanted to silence anyone who would continue the message of Jesus. They wanted to bring this message to a conclusion. I mean, think about it. Put yourselves in their position for a moment. You have the power. You have the authority. You have the influence. And there's there's this growing movement that in in the period of a couple months and perhaps over the course of a year grows from just a couple hundred people to over 10,000 That's a quarter of the population of the town that we live in. And in this day and age, in this community, in the first century, 
This would have been amazing. This would have gotten the attention. This would have been like the headline in all of the papers. There's this great movement that's going on, and they wanted to silence them. Listen, boldness is required when those who oppose us want to silence us. Church, there's a day coming when boldness is going to be required of us. Jesus doesn't promise us that it's going to be a wide open path, that it's going to be easy in terms of sharing the gospel. In fact, what does he promise us? He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. There is going to be persecution, and I'm so thankful that we've had so long this season of freedom in the Western world. But there are places that today, today, on a Sunday morning, people like me have been silenced because they're preaching the same message. And the church is growing exponentially in some of those places. And so we need to be prepared now in terms of our faith journey to, to have the type of boldness that overcomes the fear that we may have about what might happen in the future. We need to be strong in our faith. We need to be solid in what we know and how we communicate that. And so boldness is required when those oppose the message of Jesus seek to silence us. Secondly, boldness is expected to make the most of every opportunity to share the message of Jesus. We talk about this a lot, but I love, I love this, this passage here. Check this out, verse 5. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes, they gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all of those who were of the high priestly family. Check this out in verse 7. So get the picture. There's John and there's Peter, these two leaders in the first church. And when they had set them in the midst, that means there was a crowd around them, they inquired, Hey guys, by what power, by what name did you do this healing that we read about last week in chapter 3? And y'all, this is where I love this because at this point in time, Peter is like, oh yeah, I got the pitch. This is the home run ball right here. I'm going yard on this thing, all right? So like he has waited till someone asked him this question. And for him, for Peter, he doesn't get intimidated by it. He doesn't back down. He doesn't become more fearful. He's like, we are going for this because they set us up. I mean, this is just, this is like a lob pitch. This is like the best thing in the world. And Peter takes full advantage of the opportunity by what power or what name did you do this, Peter and John? And I absolutely love his response. Luke tells us in verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known, he says, to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before 
you well today. And I don't know if you remember if you were here last week or you heard the message last week, but now this is the second time that Peter has said it is by the power, we just sang about it, by the power of the name of Jesus that we are doing these things. It is not for us. It is not for our glory. It is not for our attention. It's not for our fame. It's not for our name. It is by the power of Jesus Christ. And I love that. But Peter doesn't stop there because he's not done with his message yet. He's like, man, they just set me up for this sermon. They're going to get the sermon, all right? So that's what's going to happen. Verse 11, check it out, verse 11. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the what? The cornerstone. It's the the centerpiece of everything. He's become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else from there is no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among by which men must be saved. Peter did not waste that opportunity at all, did he? I mean, in just a very few words, he swung for the fences and he hit it out of the park. And I want you to notice a few things about what Peter did here, okay? He didn't manufacture something. He didn't try to manufacture some kind of opportunity. Listen, the opportunity came his way. And all he did was answer a question, right? He didn't like, you know, try to manipulate the situation. They asked him. They asked him, by whose power has this man been healed? And I think there is a hidden curiosity in those who are opposed to Jesus. Listen, I want you to know something today. People that you may be talking about, maybe your neighbors or um, maybe it's some friends at school, students, or maybe it's someone you know, at, your, at your work where you work or it's a, a family or a neighbor, whatever it may be. They may seem opposed to Jesus, and perhaps they are. Perhaps they're strongly opposed to Jesus. But I want you to hear something, church. There is so great a power in the name of Jesus that there's got to be a hidden curiosity They've got to be wondering why in the world has the church survived this long? Why in the world is this message so incredibly impactful to people? Why does it change people the way that it does? And I think part of our job is to take those natural opportunities that God gives us and to ferret out and to find out where where the opportunity really lies with the person or the people that we're talking to. I think that we often miss so many times what the person is going through and what they're really asking, the question behind the question, because we are trying to give a defense for ourselves. Do you notice that Peter never defends himself? He doesn't go in there like a lawyer. He wasn't. He was a fisherman. We're going to get to that in a moment. Um, He goes in and he defends the message of Jesus. He doesn't try to defend himself. He applies the message. He makes it applicable to them. He He gives the glory to God. And then in verse 12, he clarifies the message like I've never seen before when he says there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. I mean, he takes this opportunity and just lays it out. And listen, I'm no Peter. And we might say, hey, we are just ordinary, normal people. We're not guys like Peter. 
I mean, this was one of the people that Jesus called, and he followed him, and he knew him, and he saw him, and this is Peter, you know, this is like this great disciple of Jesus. I'm not like Peter. Well, I think that kind of drives here at our third point, and that is this. Boldness is a byproduct when we spend time with Jesus. See, I think sometimes we try to manufacture the boldness, and what we need to manufacture is the time spent with Jesus. Because Peter was no extraordinary man. Peter was an ordinary guy. He was a fisherman in Galilee that Jesus plucked out of obscurity along with a few others, his brother Andrew included, to do a great work for God. And the thing that was distinctive about these guys, listen, I want you to hear this, church, is that they spent time with Jesus and those opposed to the message of Jesus knew it. They knew it. They recognized it. Look at verse 13 and 14. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, something told them that they were uneducated, that they were common, that they were, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that incredible? They recognized that they were common men, that they were uneducated men, but they also recognized that these guys had been with Jesus. And then verse 14 says, but seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. It's like, what more can we say? And I want you to hear this today because we've talked a lot these last few weeks about what the first church did to turn the world upside down. And we're going to be getting into, as we move forward in the series, a little bit more about who they were that turned the world upside down. But it begins with time with Jesus. It begins when you and I have time spent in solitude with him. We will not be able to make up or manufacture or create the kind of boldness that we need to communicate the gospel message unless we have spent time with the Savior, the one who came to change the world and turn the world upside down in the first place. And those who opposed Peter and John recognized that they were ordinary men. In fact, they might have been even below ordinary men. And they were beginning to change the world. And the thing that was distinctive is that they had spent time with Jesus. There was an undeniable work of God that these men could not have created themselves. They would not have been able to do this. They weren't physicians. They weren't lawyers. They weren't educated. They could fish. That was what they could do. Like it would have been easier for them maybe to do the whole miracle of turning, you know, uh, you know, fish into a whole meal for thousands of people like Jesus did. But to heal a lame man, this was not in their purview. It wasn't in their area of skill at all. Yet they did amazing things because they had been with Jesus. Service got them into prison. Service sent them to prison. Healing someone sent them to prison. Speaking the message with boldness sent them to prison. And I got to tell you, when it comes to us sharing the message, there's going to be fear. Fear is inevitable. It's part of it. But we can always ask God for more boldness. I want you to see the result of what happened in verses 29 through 31 as we close. 
Luke records it this way, that these men were released from prison. The first time that Christ followers were arrested for the sake of the gospel, they were released from prison. And check out what happened. And they prayed this prayer. And now, Lord, in verse 29, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus and when they had prayed the place in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the holy spirit and continued to speak the word of God with more boldness the very thing that got them into trouble in the first place after they were released from prison, you know what they did? They asked for more of it. They asked for more of it. I would have been lawyering up. I'd have been saving money to make sure if it happens again that I'm okay, that I can pay for the legal fees to get myself out of prison again. I would have been preparing and planning a different strategy to not allow this to happen again because somehow I'm probably responsible. Somehow I'm like, you know, like on the hook for this. These men got out of prison and not with a sense of any kind of civil disobedience, but with a strong sense of this was their mission. They prayed for more boldness. If that's not inspiring, church, I, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. You and I are going to have friends. We're going to have family. We're going to have people in our lives. We're going to have coworkers. We're going to have people that we know very well who turn on us because of our faith. We're going to have people who oppose the fact that we are Christians. Maybe right now you have someone or something in your life um, who you know that you need to be more bold with, that fear this irrational thought of what might happen or what they might say or might, what might take place after you tell them what you know that you need to tell them about Jesus. And maybe God is asking you right now, today, to have just a little more boldness, just to turn the dial up just a little bit. What would happen, church, if all of us if all four or 500 who call Hilton Head Island Community Church our home, what if we turn the dial up one degree in terms of our boldness? What would happen if we turn the degree up just a little bit more on how much time we spend with Jesus and how much more we rely on him to be bold in terms of sharing the message of Jesus Christ? It'd be amazing what he did and what he does if we would do that. Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, I pray for everyone who's gathered in this place. God, I pray for those who are here, who are part of your church on Hilton Head Island. And God, maybe it's a, a, a student who's in the sound, within the sound of my voice who's been talking with a fellow student about you. They've taken notice of their relationship with you, and it's brought up some conversation. It's brought up some curiosity. And God, 
fear is beginning to enter in. God, I pray that you would be with that student or that person, God, who has fear entering in. Or maybe it's someone, God, maybe it's a husband or wife who has a parent or a child um, who doesn't know you as their Savior. Or maybe they've doubted, or maybe they've been struggling in their faith walk. And there's a conversation that is weighted and weighted and waited, and they've pushed it off, and they've pushed it off, and they've pushed it off. God, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would give them courage, that you would give them boldness. God, that you would allow them to walk in your power, by the power of your name, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, to be able to share with great boldness your message. And God, we think that it has to be this, like, very... Um, public display. God, maybe it's just in the trenches. Maybe it's at work. Maybe there's someone in here today who someone has actually asked, hey, I've noticed a change in your life. And they've been a little bit fearful, a little bit timid on sharing why that change has happened. God, I pray right now today that you would allow that person or those people to speak with more boldness about you. If you're in here today and uh, just in the quietness of this place and you would say, yeah, Todd, I've, I've been a Christian for a long time. I've been a Christ follower. I know Jesus is my Savior. And I've got a situation or a potential situation or a couple of situations or circumstances or relationships. And I need to have the dial turned up just a little bit more in terms of me being more bold with my friend or a coworker or fellow student. And I'm just going to ask you to pray for me if you just raise your hand. Just in the quietness of this place, every head bowed and every eye closed. Would you just raise your hand? Keep it up for a moment. Keep it up for a moment. There's a lot of hands going up. That's awesome. Awesome. God, I pray for each person in this place. God, who says, I need more boldness. I need more courage. God, I pray that you would help each one who has their hands raised this morning. God, to rely on you more, to trust in you for that boldness, for that courage. God, I pray that you would help them. God, to spend time with you so that people around them would absolutely notice that they've been with you. And God, when they have the opportunity, I pray that they would give the glory to you and that they would share with great boldness. You can put your hands down. God, I pray for each one of us as we live this life, God, whatever our source of fear is spiritually, God, I pray that you would remove that. You would take that away. That we would trust you even in those times when it's difficult especially in those times it's difficult. God, I pray that we would walk with you. God, that we would lean on you, that we would spend time with you, and that we would be changed as a result. God, we give today to you. God, we give this time to you. May you use every opportunity that we have for your glory and for your message to be shared around the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.